Welcome to a very special episode of Three Men in a War Game. You know, this is a different voice. Uh, I am Kevin, and I am going at it alone this week. Uh, reason being, I had the two guys uh, a little busy. I know that um, that's a little bit weird. But despite the fact that all of us seem to have a little more time on our hands, it can be harder to actually make that time sync up because of the way the world is working in this current uh, COVID-19 pandemic lockdown situation of weirdness. So we're going to do a little bit of a weird episode here. Well, I'll be talking on my own and uh, it's a topic that's near and dear to me. Uh, and we're going to be talking about board games today. So if board games aren't your cup of tea, uh, I think you should actually listen because I've got some pretty interesting recommendations uh, and they're going to be based on being relevant to right now and then hopefully relevant in the future as well, because these are all great games. So what are we talking about? We're going to be talking about two-player board games, and maybe not exclusively two-player, but games that play very well or best at two or are designed for two players. Um, so those are the two. Those are the criteria, basically. Also, this is really meant to be recommendations for a person who has a partner or roommate that isn't into war gaming. My, for example, my partner, my wife, she loves playing board games, not so much into mini war gaming. So even though I'm stuck in most of the mini war games I have, I have enough to play two players. It's not super interesting to her, so I don't subject her to them. Instead, we play a lot of board games. And we play a lot of board games at two players right now, as you can imagine. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk over a couple uh, that we're liking to play right now and that I've really liked in the past. And so here's going to be the criteria. I mentioned one of the criteria already. That is going to be games that play best, play very well, or are made for two players. Uh, another criteria here is that I checked before I started recording, and every one of these games is available on either Amazon, Miniature Market, Game Nerds, or Noble Knight as of April 20th, 2020. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what the future holds, so it's hard to know when these games are going to sell out, come into print, go out of print, not be easy to find. But as of for 2020, these are in stock on Amazon, and I wanted to do this specifically for the timeliness during COVID-19 so that if you listen to this, you would be able to acquire one of these games fairly easily. Okay, the final criteria is that I've created three categories, light games, medium games, and heavy games, and I've selected three games from each of those categories. So to give you some context, uh, light games are games that are uh, easier on the rules. Think a game that you can explain in 10 minutes. Uh, and while gonna, it's going to have good, tight decision making, there's not a lot of rules overhead and there's not a lot of uh, meat, I guess, is, is where I'm going there. And then you have medium and heavy games. Medium games are going to be a step up uh, from your light games. A little bit more rules. Think at 10 to 15 to 20 minute explanation um, and maybe one playthrough or a couple rounds before you really, really start to understand how that game works. And then we've got our heavy games, the meatiest games, the games you're going to want to revisit over and over, maybe a little more time consuming, maybe a little more expensive because they're larger games. Uh, but not, that's not always true. Uh, one of my games here is under $50 in the heavyweight category. Uh, but the heavier games are going to be games that require a lot of thought overhead. The explanation can be 10 to 30 minutes to, to actually get somebody acclimated and ready to go. Uh, these are going to be games that are a little more brain burning. Uh, they're going to give you more of the, the sense of brain burn that a good miniatures game like Malifaux will give you. 
Uh, and those are going to be your heavyweight games. So we're going to kick right off and we're going to start with the lightweight games. The first game that I want to talk about is called Parks. Uh, Parks is a game designed by uh, Henry Audubon. And Parks is a very, very, very cool game uh, in which you are going to be playing hikers that are hiking across a trail and visiting the national parks of the United States. Uh, there's a couple reasons I love this game. One, it's very easy to play and explain. It's also very easy to set up and tear down because of the trays that come in the box. Also, the game is very fun and makes for some very interesting decision-making because the way a basic round breaks down is there's a trail, and each trail has multiple stops on it, and you have two hikers. And you move the hikers down the trail, but hikers can't move back on the trail. They can only move forward, and they can't stop. They can't always stop where another hiker is. You have, you're able to do that once per turn, but for the most part, you have to continue down the trail and afford momentum, collecting resources, and you use these resources to essentially visit parks, and you're going to be collecting gear on the way and canteens as well. So it's a little bit of engine building, a little bit of tableau building, uh, and very interesting decisions as to when you're going to stop on the trail and where you're going to stop on the trail to get the most out of your actions. This game plays excellently with two players. Um, it, as of today, April 20th, uh, my wife and I have, I think five plays of this game in 2020. So that's a, that's a, a lot of plays. I have, uh, as a, for a matter of full disclosure, I have a little bit over a hundred board games. So for any game to get five plays in a few months is a big deal. Um, highly recommend this game. I just I'm throwing that out there as a game, very much recommended plays well as at three and four players as well. So even after this situation, you'll have a great game, beautiful game on the table too. Easy to teach to your whole family. That brings us to our next game, which uh, is exclusively to, for two players. This game is called patchwork. Uh, Patchwork is by famous board game designer Uwe Rosenberg. You may have played Agricola or Caverna or A Feast for Odin. May not have ever played Patchwork. And if you're someone that has just, it's you and another person, Patchwork is an excellent way to pass some time. The main theme of the game is building a quilt, a patchwork quilt, and the quote-unquote patchwork in this game are tetromino-like pieces. They're not all tetrominoes because some of them have more than five pieces on them. But if you think about Tetris pieces, you're not necessarily in the wrong for, for how they're going to look. And what you're going to be doing is building those on a quilt with a resource called buttons, which really acts as time. And so it it's up to you to collect the pieces that you need to fill out your quilt as efficiently as possible to get the most points. Doesn't sound like much, but I promise you, it's a very, very, very fun game. And then my final game to talk about in the lightweight games category is The Fox in the Forest. And the Fox in the Forest is a trick-taking card game designed by Josh Burgell. Amazing game. Uh, you're going to have three suits in this trick-taking game rather than your standard four. Each of the odd cards in these in this game actually has a special power on it, uh, which allows you to do sp specific things like changing the trump card or gaining extra victory points for winning the hand or forcing your opponent to play their highest card in the suit played. 
And since you have those powers, it makes the game, it makes it so that you can force certain cards out of your opponent's hand or do certain things that allow you to lead the next trick or what, even if you didn't win it uh, as an example. And the idea in this game is that you don't want to take as many tricks as you can. You also don't want to take as few tricks as you can. You want to strike a balance uh, because if you take more than nine of the 13 tricks, then you score zero points. And there's a sliding scale where you can score between one and six points per round. First player to 18 points is the winner. So typically you're playing somewhere between three and six hands. Goes by in about 15 to 20 minutes. Very, very very good game. If you like trick-taking games and you've been playing trick-taking games your whole life, or even just in your adult life and you've really come to like them, it's hard for me not to recommend this game. It's like 15 bucks. Uh, it fits in a really small box. I genuinely carry it in my backpack because I play it all the time. So that's Fox in the Forest by Josh Bergell. Now we're going to move into our medium weight games. The first game in the medium weight is Seven Wonders Duel. Now, I know a lot of people who listen to the show have probably played Seven Wonders before. Uh, Seven Wonders Duel, however, is a totally separate animal. So in Seven Wonders Duel, it is a drafting game similar to your standard Seven Wonders. But the way that it works for two players is rather than handing out uh, hands of cards, looking at the cards and passing them to your left, you deal the cards into structures. Uh, essentially, in the first and second age, they're a pyramid and a reverse pyramid. And in the third age, it's its own little diamond shape. Each row of the pyramid is either face up or face down. And you can only draft from a card that's not being overlapped by another card. They basically overlap going down. So you can only draft from the closest row. Uh, well, not the closest row, but you only from the bottom rows, for example, as it comes up. Uh, and it has very similar mechanisms to Seven Wonders where you will be able to gain buildings that allow you to build other buildings by spending less resources or for free. There's a war track where if you are ever all the way on one side of the war track, you automatically win. Uh, there's also a science where if you fulfill the science quota for the game, which is having an, enough different science symbols, you also win automatically. Otherwise, the game goes to the end of three ages and you win by the person who scores the most points. Points are done by uh, building wonders. Those generally will score you some points as well as other bonuses. Building civic buildings, uh, as well as various other point scoring methods there are different color cards just like there are in seven wonders so your yellow trade cards will sometimes have points your guild cards will have points it's a little bit of a point salad but in general you are drafting cards with your other player constructing wonders and doing your best to not give your opponent the cards that they want most this game has some of the tightest decision making in a short game possible your average game of Seven Wonders Duel, once you know what you're up to, is 25 to 30 minutes. Uh, my wife and I often play two or three games in a row because best two out of three is generally a great format for this game. Uh, and since it goes by so fast, it's not a hard thing to do. Uh, I did not mention this game is developed by Antoine Bauza and Bruno Cathala. Again, it's a variant on the Seven Wonders system, which was originally developed by Antoine Bauza. But this two player edition is 
something special. I think it's better than Seven Wonders. Uh, Seven Wonders is a great game for a, a multiplayer situation, but I think Seven Wonders Duel is the better of the two games. And in my opinion, one of the best two-player games ever made. It is my personal favorite game to play at two. Uh, and in general, a game I will always play when requested. Moving right along in our medium weight games, we have Viticulture Essential Edition by Jamie Stegmeier. This game is a bit of a marvel. The Essential Edition of Viticulture is uh, another one of those games that has a uh, huge amount of plays for me. It gets on the table a lot, mostly because it has a very appealing theme to a wide swath of uh, American culture, and that is that it is a game about making wine. And it, it's a game that actually makes you feel like you're doing the things uh, that would be necessary to run a vineyard. And it's not necessarily about making a wine, I guess, as much as it is about running a vineyard, because you can do things like give winery tours, you can make wine, you can plant grapes, you harvest grapes, you crush the grapes, uh, you age the wine in your cellars, you have to upgrade your cellars to be able to create better, higher quality wine, and then ship the wine to the distributors that want it. As you ship wines, that allows you to get more income per turn. Uh, this is your, I think, best intro to worker placement. Uh, there's a lot of great sort of medium weight worker placement games, but I think Seven Wonders is the right, or sorry, I think Viticulture is the right combination of theme and ease of mechanics. This is a game that is very easy to explain. Also, one of the best things about Viticulture is that it scales so well from two to three to four to five to even six players, because the way the map is divided up is that each of the action locations that you can place a worker has three available spots. Uh, and in a two-player game, you can only use the first row, three to four players, you can use the second row, and five to six players, you can use the third row. So what the game does is as it scales up, it makes it so that more people can take the actions at the different locations. And this creates this very seamless, easy to understand, uh, but also tight worker placement competition at each location for each player count. Uh, very, very cool. Highly recommended at two players. This is another game where my wife and I, even though we're not really wine drinkers, will often sit down with a cocktail or a couple beers and play a round of Viticulture, a game that I very rarely tire of. And that's because the Essential Edition comes with um, some variable player setup so that your setup is, is different each time. Uh, and also we have some additional visitor packs and the visitors in the game are what really shake the game up and make each game feel a little different because when you get the workers or when you get the visitors and which visitors you get really affects how you approach the first few rounds of the game and how you sort of zone into the strategy that you're going to take for winning that game of viticulture. Moving on, the final game in the medium weight category uh, is going to be the Castles of Burgundy. All right, moving on to our last game in the medium weight category is the Castles of Burgundy by Stefan Feld, another legend in the board gaming space. Uh, I think Castles of Burgundy is his best design and another one of the games that, that really exists in my favorite games of all time. So the Castles of Burgundy, when you look at this game on the table, this isn't one that's pretty. I talked about Parks earlier being an exceptionally gorgeous game. 
I'm going to warn you right now, uh, this game is not pretty. It's also about playing princes in some century France. It's just, ugh, whatever. But that's not what's important. It's the beauty and the theme are not what is important here. It's the gameplay. Castles in Burgundy is one of the slickest games I think I've ever played. It's a city building game. Uh, and it revolves around taking actions based on a pair of dice that you get to roll at the beginning of each of your turns. So at the beginning of your turn, you roll a dice, and based on the number that comes up, that limits the options of what you can do. But the really important trick that Stefan Feld was able to do with this design is never make you feel too limited. You, can, you can't ever do everything that you want to do, but you can almost always do something you want to do. Um, and, and because of that, it makes the game um, incredibly thought provoking. And it has this addictive nature where each time you play, you, you think about to me, at least when I finish the game of castles of Burgundy, I think about specific times when I made specific decisions, what I could have done better. Uh, and I, it's a game that I want to revisit very often. Um, Mostly because there's a symmetry to it, too, when you're trying to build out this city because you've got only a finite number of hexes that you can place the things that you build into, uh, and they give you bonuses depending on how you build into them. Uh, and it's another game where you score points and points and points, and there's lots of ways to score points, so point salad, if you will. But the, the real mechanism, that meat of it, that rolling that dice and figuring out what your best thing you can do with that roll is, it's just tantalizing i it's a game where you don't need perfect information because part of it is the best part of this game is dealing with the situation that gets put in front of you and i think relating that back to us as war gamers uh that comes up a lot you know in, in war gaming there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of it is just doing the best you can with the situation that's put in front of you right there and the way that the dice mechanic works in castles of burgundy is a lot like that in that when you roll them you have to do the best you can and you're never quite certain if you're doing the absolute best thing uh and it makes the decision space in this game just something really special and i uh, again can't recommend it enough it's just a very very good game that's the castles of burgundy by steffenfeld and now we're going to move into the big boys the heavyweight games two of these games are Heavy in weight, heavy in price, and heavy in spectacle. Uh, the first one I've talked about on the show before, and that is The Gallerist. The Gallerist is designed by Vital Lasarda, uh, who is probably my favorite board game designer of all time. If you've never heard of him, I would highly recommend looking up any of his games, honestly. Uh, the Gallerist is great. Kanban is great. CO2 is great. On Mars is excellent. Uh, Escape Plan, great. I'm not thinking of all of them right off the top of my head, but they are very, very good games. Um, every one of them, oh, Lisboa, oh, Lisboa, Mwah. just what an excellent design. Every one of these games, though, heavy. Of the most complex rule sets of, that most board gamers will ever play. I'm not saying they're the most complicated board games, because they're not. But for your average person who plays board games, these will be at the upper levels of rules complexities that most people will want to deal with and honestly will be too heavy for some people to even start to think about. 
Now, The Gallerist, for me, is his most accessible game. The Gallerist, and the reason it's accessible is because in The Gallerist, you are playing a person running an art gallery, and there are only four specific regions you can visit on your turn. So in this game, the core mechanic of The Gallerist is you pick up your Gallerist pawn and you put it somewhere that it wasn't. And there are only four spaces you can go. So on your turn, that only gives you three options because you can only go to one of the three spaces you are not currently occupying. And then in each of those spaces, there is one of two actions you can take. Now, what causes this game to be so heavy is that each of those actions creates ripples across the game state. So everything that you do, uh, for example, you could promote an artist and make that artist more famous. And while this is one of the more simpler, simple actions to take in the game, and that really all it does is it bumps that artist's fame up, now anybody who owns a piece of artwork for that game, their art became more valuable including for you. And if you were the person who discovered this artist, it's even better because you paid minimum price for this artist's first piece of work. And that goes to discovering artists. When you discover an artist and you are the person who brings that artist into the art scene, they give you a commission, which means no matter how famous they get, they will always give you a piece of art for the cheapest price. But also you have assistants that can run out on the boards and do specific things. And you have to gain the types of art tickets. You, you have to find out and lure different kinds of people into your gallery. So you have to have collectors. You have to have VIPs. You have to have these people in before you can take specific actions. Because if you don't have famous people in your gallery, then the actual collectors aren't coming to your gallery to buy pieces, et cetera, et cetera. And every piece of this game interlocks with the next piece. And so even though it's simple and that, your decision is I do, I go to one of three places and do one of two things at that place. The complexity comes in starting to understand how what you're doing affects the game state, affects the other players. And I haven't even mentioned, you know, a, a, an eighth of the mechanics here because, you know, your rules break down here, as I said at the top, is 20 to 30 minutes. But the amount of complexity here based on those on that very simple rhythm is addictive. It is the kind of game that even though you have near perfect information, you want to play over and over and over again because it feels like a skill. You get good at the game the more you play it and the optimization, the paths to victory are so many and so varied that even though the game's basic rhythm feels the same, two games of the gallerist never do. Uh, and they tell very interesting stories. So because of that, I highly recommend this game. And I, and, I, and I recommend that game understanding full well that this game is expensive. Uh, generally, it's over $100. Um, and I think it's worth that price. Uh, your average play of this game is going to last two hours. It can go shorter or longer at four, four players. It's often a bit longer than two players. My wife and I often finish a game in 75 minutes. But every play of this game is delectable. I just I soak up the goodness of this game. It's incredible. And if you aren't going to buy it, at least seek it out and try to play it because it is a worthy endeavor. All right. The next one on the heavy games list is Star Wars Rebellion.
Uh, Star Wars Rebellion is designed by Corey Kinezka, who is, I think, best known for making some of the, th- the best thematic games ever. Battlestar Galactica is a, the, ga- the game that immediately springs to mind uh, that Corey designed. I think he also designed Descent, which is an incredibly thematic game, and a few others. But in general, his games are known for integrating mechanisms that tie deeply into the theme of the game. Uh, And Star Wars Rebellion is no exception. I think it's Corey's best design, and I think it's one of the best board game designs I've ever played. So in Star Wars Rebellion, you are playing either the Rebellion side or the Empire side. And the best way I can describe this game is by is you are literally playing out alternate history Star Wars. Everything in this game does what it feels like it should in the Star Wars universe. And I just I can't recommend the game enough. I don't want to spend too much time harping on the individual mechanics of this game other than the basic rhythm. And the basic rhythm of this game is a cat and mouse struggle. So as the empire player you are searching for the rebellion to crush them and your mechanism by doing this is visiting planets and also each round there is a probe droid that you get to flip and that shows you a planet that the rebel player is not on and you can ignore because again all you have to do to win is find the rebel home planet and crush the rebellion. And as the rebel player, you are trying to outlast the, the empire long enough to curry favor in the, in the universe or in the, in the, in the galaxy toward your favor. So it's really a timing thing. You're playing this cat and mouse game where as the rebel player, you are in secret building your forces because you always have a hidden base and the, The Empire player can sort of see how much you have there, but has no idea where it is. And as the Empire player, the Rebel player can see you, can see your presence expanding across the map, getting stronger and more devastating. And each turn by turn, figuring out where you aren't are and consolidating onto the location that you're trying desperately to hide from them from. Oh, it's so good. It's so good, you guys. Uh, This game... Whew, uh, it takes a long time to play. I'll say that. Uh, my average plays go the length of a Star Wars movie. You're generally two and two, two and a half hours um, to get through this game, sometimes longer. I've had games go as long as three hours. Um, but every single play of this game, as I mentioned with the gallerist, tells a story. Uh, when you're done playing this game, you're going to be laughing and telling stories about the things that happened, the, the crazy loony stuff that happened while you were playing the game and how much like Star Wars it was. It's happened every time I've played it. Um, and as a two player game, it, it's hard to do better. Um, it's so good. Um, very, very good. But again, I have to be careful here because I know this is an $80 game, but I think, um, worth every penny of that $80, honestly, think about maybe going to movies, right? Uh, if you're going to go out to the movies as a date, uh, you're talking 30 bucks after tickets and the snack and drinks, maybe 40 bucks two two and a half hours of entertainment. If we 
circle that into this game. If you can get two or three plays out of this game, it's well worth the money. I, I'm serious. I, I'm in all seriousness saying this $80 experience is well worth it if you can get two to three plays out of it. But I promise you, if you have a partner or someone, a gaming partner that you can play this game with over and over again, you will want to play it more than two times. This is the kind of game where I want to break it out uh, probably once a month. I don't get to. Uh, I would love to play it that often. But I'm telling you right now, the stories that I have of some of my most memorable plays of this game, I can think just two of them would have been worth the money that I paid for this game in the experience that I got to have with that other person when I was playing it. Um, this game has my highest recommendation. Uh, while I, I mentioned earlier, Seven Wonders Duels, my favorite two-player game, the Galaris is probably my favorite board game of all time. That doesn't stop this game. That doesn't stop Star Wars Rebellion from getting the highest praise I can give it. Um, incredible, incredible game. And I think it's my favorite tabletop experience. Chris and Paul, don't come after me for saying that. I know, guys. I know it's not Legion. But Star Wars Rebellion is Star Wars on the tabletop, and it is amazing. Okay, moving on to my last game, uh, Paladins of the West Kingdom. Uh, this is a newer game by Shem Phillips. This is another worker placement game. Uh, it seems like uh, it's a theme here. We're talking about Viticulture, the Gallerist, and now uh, the Paladins of the West Kingdom, which are all worker placement games. The thing about Paladins of the West Kingdom, though, is it doesn't have your standard worker placement feel. I guess neither does the Gallerist. And, and what I mean by that is your standard worker placement game, each player is going through their turn, putting out all their workers, and then everybody collects all their work their workers, and then everybody starts that over again. The rhythm in Paladins is much different because in Paladins, there is a virtue system and there is a way that you can jail your, the, the workers that go out on the board. And when the characters are jailed, it makes it easier for you to pull them back into your available pool um, than it is if you just pull them off with the standard actions. And what that creates is this very seamless back and forth. The the turn structure in this game is so smooth. Uh, and the other thing is that the engine building in this game is more satisfying than almost any engine pure engine builder. If we think about pure engine building games like Wingspan or, I don't know, uh, Splendor or, yeah, let's just those two, Splendor and Wingspan, pure engine building games. Um, the thing about this is that you have your this brilliant worker placement mechanic, but also the engine building in that you're trying to structure the things that you can do in such a way that you, your actions get more and more efficient. You get the better and better combos. Um, and man, it's just a, a hell of a thing. Um, I, I want to talk about it more, but I, this is a game, while eagerly recommending it, I don't have as many plays as any of the other games I've recommended. And it's, it's purely uh, on the strength of my limited plays of this game. But I can tell you right now that pound for pound, price for price, this is one of the better games on the list. If we, if we look at these games I've mentioned, Seven Wonders Duel comes in at 30 bucks, and Paladins of the West Kingdom you can often get for 35 or 40 and easily worth that amount of money. Game of Paladins of the West Kingdom was going to take you 90 minutes to two hours. Uh, and it is an incredibly thinky game. 
you're going to have very tight decisions. You're going to have the great inner, even though it is a little bit of a multiplayer solitaire, you, there is the, the interplay between you and your gaming partner as, as it would be with this as a two player game is trying to guess at what your opponent is doing and not give them better opportunities than you might uh, otherwise give them if you just do what's best for you all the time. Because sometimes doing what's best for you helps your opponent. And it, it is, oh man, again, Paladins of the West Kingdom. I know I've said this a lot about all these games. Totally worth it. I, honestly, I think these nine games are excellent. I'm going to go down the list again. So it's Parks, Patchwork, Fox in the Forest, Seven Wonders Duel, Viticulture Essential Edition, The Castles of Burgundy, The Gallerist, Star Wars Rebellion, and Paladins of the West Kingdom. These games will give you hours and hours and hours of uh, replayability. And if you have one gaming partner, you could honestly play one of these games every night, a different one every night, and repeat that in sort of nine night cycles. And I honestly, maybe outside of, no, none of these games, you're not going to get sick of any of them. These games are all easily replayable many, many times, especially, especially when we get into talking about Seven Wonders Duel, Castles of Burgundy, Paladins of the West Kingdom, and the Gallerist. Just easily, easy games that you can bust out over and over and never be sick of them. All of them carry high recommendations. I recommend you go to Board Game Geek and look up any of these games, take a peek at them, and consider purchasing them, especially, again, if you've got a partner at home that isn't into war games but would play, sit down and play a board game with you. And again, I've given you those categories, light, medium, and heavy, so that you can make a decision based on who that person is, what game you might be easier to talk them into. It, you know, if you think talking to them about a half hour of rules, they'll roll their eyes. Don't go for those heavy games. Don't go for the gallerists. Don't go for rebellion. Don't go for paladins. But consider viticulture. Consider the castles of Burgundy. Definitely consider parks. Um, especially if this is a person who, you know, is into the visual side of things. Parks is a gorgeous game. But I'll leave that to you. Go evaluate the games on Board Game Geek. Take a look. What I can tell you is that any of these nine purchases, you will not regret. Uh, you will definitely, definitely like these games, and I can't recommend them enough. With that, I would like to thank the patrons of Three Minute Award Game for sticking with us, especially in these trying times. I know money is pretty thin right now, uh, and it goes a long way. It doesn't go, or I'll say, the money is pretty thin right now, I'll say, and that we are very thankful to have your support means a lot to us and it allows us to keep this thing going i would also like to thank static as a city for the music uh at the top and bottom of our show always rocking you guys are the best and that's it uh so uh this is week six of the lockdown for me um and i know for me and the other two guys of the show again thank you for listening we appreciate you guys so much
Test. One, two, one, two. Checking the mic. Check, check, check. All right. Peaks and valleys. Pretty good. It's weird doing this by myself. All right. Here we go.